0: Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Alright, well I hope you had a a great week. Uh, I had a chance this week to go down to, uh, to Tampa, Florida. I uh, had to drive both ways in a car, so before you get jealous, don't be. It was just driving to Tampa, not what I would call always a vacation, but fun nonetheless. Had a chance to go with some uh, some good friends, and uh, Josh and I are creative arts director who was up here leading worship. Uh, we had a chance to to go to the Exponential Conference, which is the the largest gathering in the world of church planters, and so that was that was fun to to be around those people and have those conversations. It was a few years ago. Uh, That we were at that conference thinking, are we really going to do this? Are we going to start a church? Is this crazy? Uh, And then about a year into that, we, we went to that conference and thought... It's, it's nice to be around other people who are crazy like us, and so that made us feel better. And now, uh, as we're, we're coming off on the end of being officially a church plant, uh, it was a good reminder just to, to be uh, in the presence of other church planters and have those conversations because our heart for the gospel, our heart uh, for people who don't know Jesus, and our heart for communities that don't know Jesus uh, does not end when, when we cease to be a church plant, when we're an established church and we have money and, and we're able to, to lead ourselves. We want to always be a, a reproducing movement, a multiplying movement. Movement. and so uh, one of the exciting things this week was to already think and and pray and dream about the future what does it look like for movement church and some of our other uh, network and family of churches to help start other churches around columbus and so uh, this is your fair warning it 's not a matter of if we're going to do that but but when and so it might be a year or two away but we've been we've been saving money we've been putting aside some of our finances as a church and there's going to be a time uh, that we're going to come to you and say hey we 're planning a church and in gahanna or or westerville or canal winchester somewhere would would someone be open to 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 moving and being a part of that launch team and uh it's not that we want to we want to tear you out of movement church or we want to uproot people but we believe wholeheartedly that, that church planning is a part of the great commission and part of spreading the gospel and so we want to see that happen uh, in columbus and around the world and so this is this is your fair warning right that in a year or two we're going to ask you to move somewhere if you hang around here long enough so i just thought i should warn you about that so you can start having a garage sale and selling some of your things that you don't really need and stuff like that so all right no we, we had a lot of fun in tampa i just wanted to uh, to mention that but we got to get on to the game of life week four uh, we we watch that, that fun commercial there, and each week I think that, that gets weirder to me. I realized this week, the one girl in there said, I shot you, to that guy. She's just, just like a, a kid casually saying, I shot you, I think, which is not good if your kids are ever saying that to each other. There are things going on at your home and in your family that are, that are not great, right? And so uh, luckily, I guess that's a reflection of life. We know that life isn't... Uh, isn't always normal. We've known kids who do weird things. We know parents and, and families who do weird things, and, and we've mentioned that that's why we're in this series, because uh, sometimes our lives don't look like we, we thought they would. We thought we would have a, a different job, or we thought we'd get to keep our job, or we thought uh, that things would, would go better in our, in our career. We thought that relationships would last, and, and other things change and are up and down, and so this series has been our way just to address uh, the the things that go on in life and the relationships that that happen in our life. A couple weeks ago, we said that no matter how our lives are, even when they're imperfect, they should be a billboard for God's greatness. We even talked about uh, God's intervention in our lives and the way that He disciplines us and the way that our. Our, our, our parents and authority figures have disciplined us and we've talked about those things uh the last couple weeks and last week we even uh talked about uh, the story of abraham and so this week we want to uh we want to talk about siblings we want to talk about our brothers and sisters and even uh some of those who are close to us and and the closest relationships we have and and so uh some of you are thinking, I, I don't have siblings or I don't talk to my siblings. That might be why we're going to talk about this, all right? So uh, we want to just open up a passage this morning and kind of look at a, a biblical roadmap for, for what our, our relationship should look like inside of our family with our siblings. And so I want to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. If you've got one of the Bibles that's in front of you or under your chair, there's one around you, you can, you can grab that, you can open it up. It's on page... 31, I believe, in that Bible, if you want to open that. And if uh, if you don't have a, a Bible that is yours, uh, we would love for you to take that Bible with you today. You can take that, and it's something that, that we think there's value when you read and when you study and you see what God has to say to us. And so feel free to, to take that Bible that you're holding with you today. But we're going we're gonna to open it up here for just a second and look at Genesis 37 on page 31. Talk about a man named Joseph here and see what his story can teach us about about siblings, about brothers and sisters and those closest to us. So this is Genesis 37, verse 1. It says this, so Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. So Jacob is the dad, he's settling his family in Canaan. Here we go, talking about his kids and his sons. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Man, would I never name my daughter that, but anyway, we'll keep going, all right? But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing, so we'll, we'll take a break here for just a second. Obviously, Jacob is the father of this family. He has a couple wives, It was custom back then, and so you've got kind of a classic blended family. Uh, it looks like you, you've got people who are already not really getting along, siblings who have different parents, and some of the same parents, and so uh, they're not too fond of each other. And so you've got these brothers that, that, uh, that Joseph works for. Maybe not the greatest people, the, the best people to work for. And so when they're doing bad things as they're out in the fields, uh, Joseph's going back and saying, Dad, do you know what they did? Do you know what my brothers did? Do you know what your sons did? Do you know the wrong things that they've done? So verse 3 says this, Jacob, the father, loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph. A beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So again, we said this is a blended family with some tension. If you've ever seen the Brady Bunch, or maybe you've seen that like new commercial that's out where they say, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha all the time, that's basically exactly what's happening right here, the biblical version, right? His brothers are like, Joseph, 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 kind of thing, right? They, they just don't, they don't like this guy. They feel like the parents are showing favoritism. Everything that Joseph wants, he gets. His life is perfect. He probably was a really good-looking guy. Obviously, he had the best robe in town. I'm sure it was made by uh, Dolce and Gabbana or someone, I don't know. But he's got this great robe, and his brothers resent him for it. And so uh, here's here's where verse 5 picks up. It says, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. This is not going well. Verse 6, Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, "'So you think you'll be our king, do you? "'Do you actually think you will reign over us?' "'And they hated him all the more "'because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. "'Soon Joseph had another dream, "'and again he told his brothers about it. "'Listen, I've had another dream,' he said. "'The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. "'This time he told the dream to his father "'as well as to his brothers, "'but his father scolded him. "'What kind of dream is that?' he asked. "'Will your mother and I and your brothers "'actually come and bow to the ground before you?' But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? He asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here. But I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. "'Here comes the dreamer,' they said. "'Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. "'We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. "'Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams.' "'But when Reuben heard of their scheme,' he's one of the brothers, "'he came to Joseph's rescue. "'Let's not kill him,' he said. "'Why should we shed any blood? "'Let's just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. "'Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him.' "'Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father.' So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midian traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Wow. And we think our families are screwed up, right? Right? We, we talked last week about this story of Abraham and where God, for a moment it appeared, had called him to sacrifice his son on an altar, and, and we were thinking, all right, maybe my relationship with my parents isn't so bad after all. God's never asked my parents to do that. Well, now we're probably thinking, oh, we're talking about siblings. I don't really talk to my sister anymore. At least none of your siblings, as far as I know, have ever tried to do something like this, right? I mean, Joseph has it pretty bad. His siblings are are selling him into slavery. And, and that was after they, they, they thought they were, they were good people, right? At first, they were going to kill him. Then they were just going to pretend to kill him. Now they're just going to pretend to kill him and sell him into slavery. And so this is a family that's, that's got some problems. Verse 36 on down says, Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the police guard. So things are not going great for our, our main character Joseph here, right? He's, he's a guy who, who's loved by his dad, who's growing up in a great family, has some responsibility, things aren't great. He's, he's kidnapped and eventually he's, he's sold into slavery and he ends up at, at this guy Potiphar's house. So I don't know what the worst thing is that's ever happened to you in a couple days, a three-day span, a two-week span, but he goes from being the most loved son, the one who's being taken care of, to the one that was sold into slavery and sent to another country. And so this guy's life is uh, is is not going great, and it's not just this one story, right? We're thinking, yeah, but but that's that's a weird random story. It's it's not like all of the Bible is like that. Well, actually, I took some time to to look up some other stories this week. It's not just my family, my my immediate family, my my extended family, or your extended family, or your immediate family that have problems and that are screwed up. We see this pattern all through the Bible. So let's just look at a few things here to uh, to make us feel better. You don't have to turn there, but I wanna highlight these. How many of us know the story of Cain and Abel? Right, we know the story of Cain and Abel. These are the, the sons of, of the first man, Adam, and this is right away in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter four. These two sons are both farmers and they're preparing things and they're honoring God with some of the things they're harvesting and, and some of the things that they're raising up. And one of them gets mad. Cain is is jealous of Abel And he just takes him out into a field and and kills him right away, four chapters into the Bible. And so the Bible has no shortage of siblings having rivalry and siblings that just aren't getting along and families that aren't getting along and things that aren't right. So we've got the story of Cain and Abel. We've got the story of Jacob and Esau, the very same Jacob who is Joseph's father, the very same father that bought him this robe. The story of of Jacob and Esau is is a funny one because they were two brothers and they were instantly competitive and pitted against each other. And so uh, Jacob did something to, uh, to, to get his brother to trade his, his birthright, which was a big deal in those days. It was part of your inheritance, and everything that you had was, was tied to that. And so one of the brothers tricked the other brother out of that. Later on, it mentions in that story of Jacob and Esau, a chapter later, they grew up, they got older, they got married. Some of you, this will really make you feel good. Sometimes it's not that you and your siblings are fighting enough, but then you get married and your your spouses also c- encourage the fighting and they contribute to the fighting, right? No one in here can identify with that in any way, I'm sure. So I'll just pretend it's just me reading this story. But even in the story of Jacob and Esau, it says that these brothers and the wives, their, their, their sister-in-laws clashed and they, they had problems in the middle of this story. And so we see one brother stealing the other brother's birthright. We see their wives clashing. And eventually, Jacob, after already stealing the birthright, steals the blessing, this, this prayer of blessing that was prayed over the, the oldest son one time. Jacob stole that from Esau, and so this is just a pattern of, of one brother deceiving the other one, and even messing with the family, and, and messing up their dynamic. And so we see Cain and Abel being screwed up. We see Joseph and his brothers being screwed up. We see Jacob and Esau being screwed up. But that's just people, right? That's just, that's just what happens, even in the story of, of Jesus, we see that. There's a, there's, a, there's a passage in John, we know that, that Jesus was, was uh, born into an earthly family and was fully God and fully man, and so he had earthly brothers from his, his mother and father, and there's a passage in John, I think it's chapter 17, that says even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him, didn't believe in who he said he was and who he was. He was the savior of the world, the son of God, and his own brothers were kind of like, meh, you talk a good game, but I don't believe in you. And so even Jesus himself had some tension in his earthly family. I mean, imagine what it's like to know that you're the son of God and have these people that you've grown up with, grown up alongside since the age of like one and two and four and five, not believe in who you say you are. The the earthly family, the earthly model of families has, has tension, and it has since the beginning of time. And so I, I just say all that to say if, if you're here today and as soon as we said siblings or as soon as we talk about brothers and sisters or as soon as we talk about brother-in-laws or, or sister-in-laws, I hope that you weren't like, oh, here comes a guilt trip. But, but I hope that you can realize that, that there are some flaws in the, in the system and there are some ways that we've screwed things up over time so let's, uh, let's check back in on Joseph. I just want to highlight uh, some parts of this story. We won't have time to, to read it all. But Joseph, as we know, was sold to the house of Potiphar to be a slave, to be, to be a servant. Well, things, things kind of were, were looking up for him as he got there. So his life was good. Then he was kidnapped and sold into slavery. Life was bad. As he got to Potiphar's house, his, his life got good again because he was a responsible guy. He was a guy who was a leader. He was a guy who people liked and who God blessed. And so God made him the head of that household eventually. He had a lot of responsibility and a lot of freedom and was able to do some great things and was probably really finding himself and, and coming into his own very similar to if, if you've ever felt like a job just really clicked with you and you made a home and that's, that's where you wanted to be and where, where you were best using your talents. And then a day later, you get your two weeks' notice or you get downsized. Potiphar's wife made a pass at Joseph, wanted to, wanted to sleep with him, and he was too pure for that. He, he, he turned that down and, and wanted to honor his, his boss. And so the wife accused him of rape. And at that point, who are you going to believe? If you're Potiphar, your wife or the guy who works for you. And so he took the wife's side and Joseph was thrown into jail. And so his life was good, his life was bad. His life was good, his life was bad. And he has his career and his livelihood and everything taken away from him. And so as he's in prison, not doing well again and things are looking down, he has a chance to interpret some dreams some some guys that are in prison with him and eventually uh, one of these guys gets to go work for pharaoh and as pharaoh has dreams in these later chapters uh, this guy says you know what i used to know a guy that that could interpret dreams i know this guy who interpreted my dreams and and said exactly what god was trying to tell me exactly what god is doing and so this guy tells pharaoh and pharaoh says all right i need to know what these dreams mean these dreams that i'm having go and go and get this guy And so Joseph is is brought out of prison and he's able to interpret these dreams for Pharaoh. And the dreams that Pharaoh is having are saying this, that there's going to be a time that God blesses Egypt. There's going to be a time that there's, there's bountiful food, there's tons of crops, there's tons of grain, and everything is great. And after that season of blessing, there's going to be a dry spell. There's going to be a famine, there's going to be a time where there's, there's no food, there's no grain, there's no blessing, there, there's nothing, and so you need to be very, very wise about the way that you store up your things in that good season. You need to know that there's going to be a lot of crops in this season, and not a lot of crops in this season, so you need to store those things up, and save them, and ration them, and make sure that your country, and your people, and your family, and everyone around has enough food from this good season to get you through the bad season, and God uses this interaction and this dream interpretation and, and, and the Pharaoh looks at him and says, this is a guy that, that God is, is using and, and is, is shining his light on his blessing. And so the Pharaoh says, if you know so much about this period, if you understand this dream, if you know that we need to save from this section into these years, I want you to be the man in charge of this. I want you to be the guy who oversees my crops. I want you to be the person who oversees this, this saving and, and creates systems so that we can store things away and care for our people from the good time to the time of famine and the time of drought. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of all of this. He's essentially made the number two man in, in all of Egypt. He's essentially made the number two man of everything. This would be like if one day you're in prison and the next day it's like, hey, you're, uh, you're the vice president. Yeah, we need you to go, uh, go be the vice president. We don't know what happened to the last one, but he's gone now. You're the number two person, so just kind of step in there, do your thing, help us save some grain, you know, the usual vice president kind of stuff. And so he goes from life being good to life being bad, to life being good, to life being bad, to life being good again. God has had him on this journey, and God has, has used what's happened with his siblings. And so eventually, th- this food is stored up. These good times go through the, the country of Egypt. And then eventually food and production and and grain and, and everything falls off. And this time of famine happens and no one has food. The good news is that God has used Joseph's leadership to store up food. And so people from this country and people from neighboring countries are coming to get food. And if you had money, even though your crops didn't turn out, you could buy food and you could get food. And so people were being cared for under Joseph's leadership, and his brothers are are nearby, and so the dad sends them down to get some food. How much time has passed? I've got to think 10, 20, 30 years. This is down the road. Times have changed, and they look different. And, And so these brothers show up to Egypt under Joseph's leadership, and he's looking the brothers in the eye who have hurt him. He's looking these brothers in the eye who who intended to kill him and then out of the goodness of their hearts decided, let's just sell him into slavery and send him away instead. These are the people who changed his life, who ruined his life, who put him on a course to be be owned and sold as property and put him on this course to be thrown into jail and, and all of the things that have happened over the course of his life have happened because of these brothers who he's now looking in the eye. Can you imagine looking people in the eye that have done something like that to you? You're thinking, yeah, yeah, I can because my brother, or my brother and his wife or, or my, my sister has hurt me pretty bad and I've had to, had to look her in the eye. That's what Joseph is doing in this moment. And so he sells some grain to these guys, to his brothers. He sells this grain to them, but he doesn't really say who he is he puts the money that they tried to pay back in their, their sacks and eventually through some, some trickery, he, uh, he accuses them of being spies and, and he says, if you guys aren't spies, I want, you to, I want you to do something for me and they start talking about their family and who they are and he finds out that, that he has a brother. He has a little brother. He's never met, he's never seen and he says, I want you to, I want you to leave one person here, one of the brothers here, go home and get that brother. I want to I meet him. I want to see him. And so he's kind of messing with them, kind of testing them. And so they go home. And they bring back their, their brother, even though their father is thinking, I don't know if I want this to happen. I've already lost one of my sons. I've already lost one of the people who's, who's dear to me. And so they come back, and they bring back this youngest brother, Benjamin. And, and he doesn't, Joseph doesn't really say, hey, here's who I am yet, but he has a feast with them. And they eat some food, and he gives them some more grain, and he sends them home. And when he sends them home, he hides one of his uh, one of his silver cups, one of the things that that would be very very nice in our culture. This would be equivalent of like hiding a Rolex watch or or uh, or something very expensive in one of the bags. And he he begins to send them home, and and then he kind of has them uh, pretend to to be caught doing this, and accuses them of stealing and all these things, and and eventually he has this interaction with the brothers. And they pour their hearts out because they think that that God is is messing with them or is kind of attacking them mentally because of some of the things they've done and so they pour out their heart to this guy they don't even know who he is and they say we we've, we've messed up God is punishing us because we sold our brother into slavery God is punishing us and and we can't we can't stay here we can't go in prison we can't have our youngest brother Benjamin or anyone stay here because our' well, It will put our dad over the edge. He's already lost one of his sons, and that's because of something we did, because we sold him into slavery. And so these guys come clean in a way as as Joseph has kind of stripped away who they are, and he's kind of, in a way, made made them spill the beans and made them talk about this. And he's looking at the very people who sold him into slavery, the very people who screwed him over who made his life terrible and and not on the path that he would have thought and he's looking at them with with tear in their eyes as they say this is what happened this is what happened you can't do this to us we know that you're powerful and please please don't please don't do anything please don't put us in prison please don't make us slaves please don't don't kill us and he was probably still kind of angry i mean most of us would probably think Yep, they, they sold him into slavery. I think whatever he wants to do right here would be pretty justified. If he wants to use his power as the second most important man, throw him in a furnace, kill him, whatever you want to do back then, he, he could do that, right? I mean, would, would any of us really say like, no, he doesn't have the right to do that. I mean, I would think that I would look at that story and think, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. But This is what, this is what Joseph does. No matter what had been said, no matter what had been done, no matter what he had heard, Genesis 45 says this as Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers. It says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless, as they should have been, probably fearing for their lives. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years and will last five more years, And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately." You can live in the region of Goshen, where you'll be near me and all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there, for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, you and your household and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, Look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. This guy's a a strong man to be able to do that, to be able to go through what he went through and to be on the road that he was on, have life be good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, and feel like he's just getting chewed up and, and spit out as he rolls through life and has things happen that he didn't think were going to happen and things that he didn't deserve. And then as God brings him to power to be looking at the people who essentially ruined his life, the people who put him on this path and have the power to do something and for him to be a big enough man to say, guys, it's me and I'm not mad at you. I understand that God did this and I wanna make things right. I mean, imagine, imagine what he did. His family was not perfect. Perfect. His family was far from perfect, right? They're pretty epically screwed up. I think most of us in the room are thinking that now. or are thinking, yeah, my family's not that bad. And yet he had the, the, the love in his heart to, to forgive them and to do what he did. We talked a, a few months ago, we talked through 1 Corinthians 13, and we defined love in that passage where it says love is patient, love is kind. And one of the examples that we used when we say that love is patient, that means that, that when you have the power to retaliate, but you don't. You are showing true, patient love. Joseph had the power to retaliate. He had the power to, to look at those guys and say, you screwed up, you shouldn't have messed with me, you're dead. And yet he didn't. He responded with grace and with love. Some of us in the room, as we interact with our siblings, I don't think it's been quite this bad, but you have the power to retaliate. Now, it might not be your siblings, it might be your cousins, it might be your in-laws, it might be people close in your life, but it's, it's your family and it feels tense. You have the power to retaliate because they've they've been unkind to you. They've they've double-crossed you, or they've lied to you, or they've deceived you. They've been awful in, in some way. And yet the example that we see from Joseph is that he was patient, having the power to retaliate, but still responding with love and with grace, with patience. Patient love has the power to retaliate, but doesn't. And so if we're not going to retaliate, if we're going to respond with patience and with love, what should be our example? Well, here's our example. This is Philippians 2, talking about the attitude of Christ that, that I think that Joseph reflected and that we want to reflect in all of our relationships and even in, in those people closest to us who, who are not always the kindest. Philippians 2, verse 3, starting in the second half, says this, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You, talking about us, must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross." If we're going to be patient and not retaliate and not give people what they deserve, our example is what Jesus did in not giving us what we deserve. What we deserve is death and separation from God because we have sin in our lives and in our hearts. I probably don't have to tell you, but at some point in your life, you've messed up. At some point in your life, you've done something wrong. Not that that you're a murderer or not that you deserve to go to prison, but the way that we lie, the way that we deceive and the way that we want to do our own things, our own plan And we don't want to do God's plan. We don't want to do God's will for our life. That's considered sin. And that sin and those things in our heart and in our life separate us from God. Our sin separates us from God and we deserve to be separated from him for eternity. But God didn't want us to be separated from him for eternity. And so he sent his son Jesus. And out of love and out of undeserving grace for us, Jesus came and died on the cross. He came down out of heaven, it says. He gave up his his divine privileges And he came to this earth and even though he'd never messed up, even though he'd never done anything wrong, people accused him of those things and he was crucified on a cross. He died on the cross and in that moment, he was taking our sin and the things that we had done wrong and the punishment for the things that we had done wrong, he was taking that on himself. And so as he died and as he was raised from the dead three days later, he defeated sin, he defeated death and he gave us life and he took our sins away. He paid the price for them so that we can have life through his sacrifice, so that through the blood of his that was shed on the cross, we can know God the Father, and we can have access to God the Father, and we can be found in God, and we can be made whole, and we can be made new, and we can be made pure, and we no longer have to pay the the price or are responsible for the things that we've done, because out of love and out of grace, Jesus came and gave his life. He had the power to retaliate or to let life unfold and the consequences that we deserved happen, but he didn't. He took those things on himself. And so if we're willing to say, Jesus, I understand who you are. I understand that you are God, that you, you came to this world and you gave your life for me. And if we put our faith and our trust and our hope in him, if we're willing to say, I want to give you my life the way that you gave your life for me on the cross, we're found in him and we're made new in him. And the Bible says that he will be in our life and that he will be in our heart and that we can live with him forever, that we'll be in heaven with him forever, that we'll have relationship with him and that we'll know God. That's our example. When people have heard us, that's the example of how Joseph reacted. He was selfless. He was full of grace. He was calculated and he responded with the love of Christ. Christ. So some of us have been given an opportunity. Might feel like a punishment, but we'll call it an opportunity. We've been given a test. The way that our families have treated us, the way that those closest to us have treated us, the way that our parents, the way that our siblings have treated us, we've been given an opportunity or a test. We've been given the chance to respond. Now I know how we want to respond, and sometimes we do respond like that. Sometimes we're quick to point out to our family, you hurt me, you ruined my life, You've ruined everything, and we're done. We're, we're quick to cut people off from our lives, and we're quick to end things, and we're quick to point out the flaws of other people and think that we're without fault and that we're without sin. And I don't want to speak into every situation in the room, but I want to just say this, that often when we're pointing out the faults of others, it's because we have too high of a view of ourselves. We forget that we are sinful, flawed, broken people and outside of the love of Jesus we are we're nothing we're right where they are and so what compels us to show love what compels us to show grace what compels us to love people the love of Jesus and the way that he's given his life for us a couple of years ago I had a conversation with, uh, with someone pretty close to Kristen and I and um, some things were said that, that I didn't really appreciate some things were said that kind of hurt, hurt my heart. And some things were said that, that I thought were just ignorant and offensive. And so in that moment, that person was essentially dead to me. I just thought, all right, I don't know why you said that, but I guess I'll talk to you in 50 years, or maybe never, or we'll, we'll smile and wave as we pass, and that's how that's gonna go. And um, as we were meeting together as a launch team for Movement Church, um, I had someone challenge me to, to just ask people if, if things were right in their lives if they were right in their relationships if things were right with God and to encourage them if we're going to ask God to bless this new church we need to, we need to make sure that we've done all that we can and make sure that things are right with, with, with all the people in our lives all the men and women that we know and so I was thinking through this and praying through this and I was on vacation taking some time off right before we started movement and God said to me hey dummy You've got some people that you've offended or that you've hurt or that you've got problems with. How can you stand before this church and before this launch team and tell them to make things right when you yourself haven't done that? And at first I thought, yeah, but do you remember what they said? I mean, I think my anger is kind of justified. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, do you even remember what they said? Or have you built this up to be a huge deal over time? Have you let this take on a life of its own? Do you, do you know what they said or do you think you know what they said? Does it even matter what they said? Who do you think you are? How great are you that, that no one can make a mistake or no one can say anything wrong? And I started thinking through this and praying through this and God was saying to me, you need to humble yourself like my son did. You need to humble yourself and respond with humility. You need to go to this person and apologize and just things, get, get things out in the open and say the way that you've judged them, the way that you've been wrong, the way that you've been angry, and you need to air this out and make it right. And I tried to not do it. I tried to fight it, and eventually I felt pretty guilty and pretty terrible. And so one day I just got in the car, drove to their house, I knew they'd be home and just knocked on the door. I didn't I didn't do the whole, "Hey, are you going to be home? Can I stop by?" I just I just went because I knew that, that maybe this wouldn't happen. And it was a it was an interesting conversation, but I said, "Listen, I don't I don't even want to talk about what was done. I want you to know that I've had I've had anger and I've had hatred and I've had bitterness in my heart toward you, regardless of what happened, I'm wrong. I was wrong and I am wrong, and I apologize." I don't don't say that to to say that, oh, look at Mark. He made everything right that one time. I'm sure I've done that probably 50 times since then and screwed up, but it is possible to humble yourself and to fight through anger and to fight through a broken relationship and to fight through fear and, and to fight through awkwardness and make things right and let people see patient love and graceful love and gracious love and loving love. Let them see life and new life in you Let them see Jesus in you and the way that you respond to them, the way that you treat them, no matter what they've done. I heard a quote this week that uh, there are 40 miracles in the book of Acts and 39 of them happened outside of church. So I think often we think that whatever the guy on the stage is about to say is going to be this magical miracle. It's not. He's not very good looking and it's not that magic this week. I think the miracle this week would be that if if you're challenged that there's a relationship in your life, there's someone close to you, a sibling, a brother-in-law, a sister-in-law, a parent, someone that, that things are not right with, the miracle will be having the courage to go to them to humble yourself and say, I want you to see love and grace in me. I want you to see life in me and I want you to know that I love you and that Jesus loves you. The miracle will be what you do and how you respond with the relationships and the, the situation that God has given you and with what he's putting on your heart and how he's teaching you. So I wanna just pray for us as we close and, and challenge you that, that you will be bold enough, that you'll be, you'll be bold enough to go and talk to someone and make things right. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the example of Joseph. Thank you for the example of your son Jesus being selfless, Lord, being, being humble. God, I pray that you will help us to be selfless, help us to be humble, help us to respond with love no matter what situation we're in to those closest to us, Lord. Sometimes our family and people in our lives hurt us more than anyone else. God, we want them to see patience. We want them to see joy. We want them to see life in us. And that's going to come by the way we respond to anger, by the the way we respond to issues, by the way we respond to strained relationships. So, Lord, I know that there are people in this room whose family dynamics are are tough right now, whose friendship dynamics are, are tough right now, whose work dynamics are tough. Lord, I pray that we will be people who are marked by our humility. I pray that we will be people who are marked by the way that we humbly apologize, humbly approach people, the way that we're honest, the way that we make things right, by the way that we show people grace and by the way that we show people love. Lord, give those of us in the room that need to do something. Give us the courage to make those relationships right. Give us the courage to apologize. Give us the courage to honor you with the way we live our lives and the way that we love people. Help us to be driven by the example of your son. Lord, it's in your name I pray, amen.